It was a tumultuous time. The political systems that were in play that seemed to have been pretty stable for a good while were beginning to shift and to change. The people were wondering, well, who is going to be in power next? Countries were looking with askance at each other as to who's going to invade who next? Who's going to start the next war? Who's going to come and to try to overthrow us? There was a lot of fear, a lot of wondering. You might think I was talking about last week. I'm actually talking about the time of Jeremiah. Not so different, necessarily, though the players are different. The little kingdom of Israel and Judah had their king still in place, even though the kings weren't necessarily the most faithful of people. If you, if you read through uh, the Old Testament and you hear about the, the kings of, of Judah, the kings of Israel, it'll say things like, well, this king um, was the son of this other king and didn't honor God and so served three months and then there was another king. Or this one was faithful and the people flourished. It's just, it's just this story of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, faithfulness and unfaithfulness, which is so interesting because that's the Old Testament story of God with God's people. God makes a covenant with Abraham early on Go from this place. I'm going to make you a great nation so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. God makes a covenant and brings the law to Moses in those Ten Commandments. And yet immediately the people um, in the wilderness begin to break those commandments. Even while he's up receiving the commandments, they create a golden calf to worship. And so there's this story of breaking the covenant, but what's interesting is it's always the party of the second part, the people that break the covenant. And so here in this time, in Jeremiah's time, the Assyrians had been the predominant um, power in that part of the world. They, they had taken over, they had, they had a, a tremendous spread, but they were beginning to wane in power. And the Babylonians were beginning to come up in power. And in Jeremiah, there's lots of wondering about what's going to happen. Jeremiah is talking about the unfaithfulness of the people and how that is going to bring judgment upon them. Typical prophet, right? That's what they say. I mean, I I don't know about you. Some people think they want to be prophets. Well, most prophets aren't liked very well. You know, because they basically are telling you, you're not doing a good job, get your stuff together. God's not going to be happy with you, get right. Yeah? Well, Jeremiah is in much the same way, but, but he does things a little bit differently sometimes. Because what he tells them is, when you get taken away in exile, because people were beginning to get pulled away from their homelands as the Babylonians came in, he said, when you get taken away from your homelands, plant gardens, plant vineyards, build homes where you are, begin to build a life of faithfulness right where you are. This was not the typical message from a prophet. 
And so I'm sure the people were a bit confused because they were in utter chaos. They, they didn't know what was going to happen because under the Babylonians, the king gets taken away, dragged off in chains. The temple is raised to the ground. And so for the Israelite people, these were the two symbols of God's sovereignty, the king and the temple. And now they have neither. And so when all the established institutions begin to fail us, we often begin to lose hope. And I'm sure that the, the people of Israel very much felt that. Where is God? What is God up to? Why, why is God not with us? And Jeremiah has been saying all along, it's because of our unfaithfulness that these things are happening. But then he comes with this, this new word in the 31st chapter here. He comes with this new word. It sort of, just, sort of just pops out. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke though I was their husband. It's so interesting here, the marriage metaphor. That in this covenant that God makes, that, 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 that it is as, you know, Israel is the bride and God is the bridegroom. And that there is this holiness to this marriage and yet Israel, the bride, has been unfaithful to this covenant and broke it going to be a different kind of covenant. Well, what's different about it? As we talked about in the children's message, the the covenant before had really been, in some ways, written on stone. It was an external covenant. God God coming to the people and delivering this message through through, um, Moses or through Abraham or through a prophet or through somebody coming through someone else an exterior kind of law, a law written on the walls or written on stone, which can be easily forgotten or broken. But God says, this is the, this is the covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. What's interesting here is it's, um, it's, not like, it's not like a covenant like we often think of covenant, that it's, a two, that, it, that it's quid pro quo, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. If you listen to the language here, it's all grace. It's all God. It's all God's initiative. God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will make this come to pass. I will put it within you. And so in the midst of chaos and loss of being displaced from their homeland, there's this word of hope. 
There's this word of grace. Because God doesn't say, well, I'm going to do that only after you get your act together. I'm going to do that only, only if you become the kind of people that I want you to become. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this on your hearts. I'm going to forgive your sin and your iniquity. I'm going to make this happen in a new covenant. And the beautiful part of this covenant is that when it comes to pass, everyone will know God. The heart, the heart in in Hebrew understanding is really the center of intellect and will. It's the center of intellect and will. Not so much of feelings like we often think about today. Now that's more of a Greek understanding of things, is that the heart is the center of feelings. But the heart is the center of intellect and will. So people will know it, and they will also want to will it into being, the law, the covenant. It will be inside of them. Now sometimes we talk about uh, things that we're doing And we go, you know, I left that job because my heart, what? Wasn't in it. Right? My heart wasn't in it. I mean, we still use the heart in a sense of will or in a sense of connection. Think about about the first time that you fell in love. Think about the first time you fell in love. Could you stop thinking about that person? Didn't you want to be around them or with them just to be in their presence? In a sense, they were getting written into your heart and that's why we say when we have a breakup, my my heart got broken. My heart got broken. When something is inside of us, it's just, that we, it's just that we know it. it. It comes out of us. It's like I said, you don't have to teach a child how to breathe. It's just something about our bodies know innately this is the thing that we have to do to stay alive. When something is inside of you, it just flows out of you sort of naturally, we say. But, but it could be hard fought and hard won. If you listen to, if you listen to Ben play the guitar... It just flows out of him in a way that when I pick up a guitar, it sort of stumbles out of me. When you hear Lolita sing and play, it just flows out of her. It's inside of Ben. It's inside of Lolita in a way that it might not be inside of the rest of us. It's written in their hearts in a particular way. Now, that's a little bit different metaphor because that's hard fought and hard won. Lots of practice. Lots of being in the presence of a guitar and of a piano, of singing and music and and, and all of that. But there are things that are part of you that are just within you. That you don't know how good you are at it because you're so good at it. 
because it's in you. There are people who can listen to an engine and tell you exactly what's wrong with it. There are people who can sit with you and not say a word and you feel better because there's something in them that connects with you. There are people that you sit with and, you, and they don't say a word and you feel bad afterwards. So there's that too. But when it's written on your heart, it becomes part of you in a way that, that you just will it without, without having to use that willpower. And that's, that's the invitation here and that's the promise is that God is working this within us. That there's this grace in the forgiveness and the gift of God to us. There's this promise that the days are surely coming. And I know your question is, when? When, God? When will you write this on our hearts? When will we will it from the center of our very being and not have to struggle so much. When, oh God. And that question, I think that question is if we weren't asking it, we wouldn't have the hope that it is coming. This new covenant In Jesus, we hear about another covenant, don't we? We hear about another covenant. He says, when he lifts up the cup, he says, this is a new covenant. And in the scripture, it says, in my blood. Because that's how they made covenants back then. You spilled blood. Usually of animals or lambs or that's what you did. He says, this cup, this wine is the new covenant in my blood for all people. Not just for Israel and Judah, but for all people. In Jesus, then, this new covenant takes down the separation between God and God's people. When Jesus, it, when Jesus dies, the the, the curtain in the temple that separated the people from the Holy of Holies was ripped apart. It's the symbol of the people being able to access God and having communication with God directly because of what the gift that Jesus gives us, because of this new covenant that Jesus is putting in our hearts. When we are baptized, we talk about that the Spirit comes in us, that we are given a gift of the Spirit, and we have a new life in Christ. And yet we know that the days are not yet here, that everyone does not know of the gift of grace, of God, of love and hope and salvation that we find in Jesus. And so the days are surely coming. The promise is true. And yet we are the ones who are called now to teach it to our children. To live out 
this covenant that we believe is coming here and now so that we can see it in the now and as it comes not yet. And there are pieces of it. We see it when people do things unexpected like start GoFundMe pages for an organization that they know nothing about. Like reach out to someone that they don't really know but just feel they need to comfort them and care for them. When we see people give generously of their time and their talents and their resources to affect their community, we see this new covenant being written on our hearts. When we live into the grace and the hope that reminds us that we are not called to be perfect people in order for God to write God's love on our hearts, but that God has written God's love on our hearts in the name of his Son. And so today, I just want you to reflect on the promise. The days are surely coming. We're going to make a new covenant. It's a covenant for all people. For forgiveness and grace and hope and love. Because with Jesus during Lent, we're still in the wilderness. But we are now receiving the promise. Amen.